Who is Mr. Sinister? What are the best Mr. Sinister comic books of all time? And is it possible to read a Mr. Sinister story and not think of Bell and Sebastian? Hello and welcome to Crack and Krakoa number six as we explore House of X and Powers of Ten and get into the history of some X-Men characters. This is Kraken Krakoa number six, the history of Mr. Sinister, the X-Men villain who promises to play a major role here in the pages of Powers of Ten. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and today I'm going to be talking about Mr. Sinister, one of my favorite X-Men bad guys. Although, you know, one thing I found as I read through X-Men comics in chronological order, and of course, if you're unfamiliar with Comic Book Herald, you can find all sorts of reading order guides on the site for characters, for uh, teams, and of course for the complete Marvel reading order as I put together events like House of X and Powers of Ten reading guides. But one thing I was surprised to find is Mr. Sinister, his origins really don't start until the late 1980s, right? So the X-Men are around for a good long while before Sinister comes on the scene. And then, of course, he comes in hot in an event called Inferno on through the 90s into the 2000s and up to present day. We're going to be talking through the essentials from that time period. I've got a complete reading order that you can find here over on comicbookherald.com if you're interested in the entire reading order and every comic book that i've read that has mr sinister in it then i recommend you go on over to cbh i'll put a link in the show notes here so you can play along now again with house of x and powers of 10 what i've been trying to do in the crack and krakoa series is explore characters and and elements and ideas that seem to be very very important and With the end of, I believe it was House of X number three, at the end of each issue, there's a Krakoan language cipher that promises what is next and then what is coming up in the issue after that. And the then section of House of X number three was called Something Sinister. I nearly fell out of my chair when I dug Ramsey that. I was very excited. And then, of course, House of X number four, it continued the next issue promises to be something sinister which i think we can all pretty safely assume means it's going to be the explanation of mr sinister's role in powers of 10 now this will not include uh really much spoilers at least until i get to the end of the segment and talk about what i think and hypothesize a little bit about mr sinister's potential role in powers of 10 uh but mostly i'm gonna be talking about the character's background like i said who is he what are the best stories that you should check out if you're interested in getting a little sinister, which I think most X-Men fans should or will be. So without further ado, let's start talking about the Mr. Sinister reading order. I think what is kind of fascinating about Sinister, a lot of things, frankly, but one thing that I quite like is Mr. Sinister, his origins uh, begin in the pages of uh, technically the Mutant Massacre. Okay, This is an X-Men event in which a whole bunch of of Morlocks are murdered by the Marauders. And what we learn fairly quickly in Uncanny X-Men, even though Mr. Sinister is not directly in the event, he, you know, he's the one manipulating or, or controlling the Marauders to do these things. And then what we find, we basically we get all this information, and there's a mini buildup prior to this, but then there's Inferno, a 1989 Marvel Comics line-wide event primarily running through the pages of X-Men books like Uncanny X-Men or X-Factor, we get Mr. Sinister as the main bad guy, and we find out what his role has been in X-Men history. There's a core theme here with Mr. Sinister that even though it might be, you know, there's decades of X-Men history that don't involve the character, 
actually what most stories moving forward do is they explain how actually Mr. Sinister was in fact involved in that story and here's how he manipulated events or manipulated characters or made these things happen. So because I think the character comes on so strong and is so interesting and compelling, he's this, um, he's basically, he is a uh, geneticist scientist with zero moral compass or zero restriction from morality, I think is how he would phrase it. Uh, he also has the ability like total cellular uh, reconstruction or or regeneration. You know, if he gets a, a wound in him and inside, his body just comes back together. Not even like Wolverine healing style, just like all the cells instantly reconstitute. He's got psionic powers. Like Mr. Sinister's power set is is darn near close to unlimited. Here I've got up on the screen as we zoom in on this a little bit. Um, this is his very, very first on-screen appearance where he is dealing with the Marauders here. He's kind of holding Sabretooth and kind of throwing him around like a ragdoll. And of course, this is before he got the cool red and blue uh, color set that would go on to define the character as, as created here by Chris Claremont, the writer, and Mark Silvestri, the artist. Here we have the Mr. Sinister look we all know and love, that spaghetti noodle cape, the diamond in the center of the head, the red diamond at the heart of everything. And in the pages of Inferno, the big event that Mr. Sinister comes in is the bad guy behind the scenes. Uh, basically, the biggest thing he does here is he reveals that he's been behind Madeline Pryor from day one. As he says here, you, Madeline Pryor, my pride, my first and foremost joy, you may call me father. And one thing we learned throughout the course of Inferno, one of his biggest deals is he's very interested in controlling uh, what the the future of mutant hood is going to look like, what the future of evolution is going to look like, and he does this through a fixation and a fascination with the characters Cyclops and Jean Grey. Now, when Jean Grey dies at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga, this throws a wrench into Sinister's plans to bring these two characters together and to you know work with their offspring. So what he does is he makes a clone of Gene, and this is Madeline Pryor. Now, if you read Uncanny X-Men, the Chris Claremont era throughout the 80s, this is a character who shows up, like, right after Gene dies, looks exactly like Gene, and Cyclops marries and has a child with. <laughs> Not asking a whole lot of questions. Um, there's, you know, there's some debate that could be had about Scott Summers' decision-making there, but nonetheless, this was all plotted out by Sinister, we learn in the pages of Inferno. And of course, this is a pretty tough break for Maddie, who believes herself to be an individual. And it turns out she has basically no memories, you know, past the point of, of you know, things that were inserted by Sinister from Jean Grey. So here I've got just a little snippet of Sinister fighting the X-Men on the on the astral plane. Again, he has these psionic, psionic uh, you know, skills. He can fight really anyone on the X-Men he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, and throughout Inferno, his manipulations of Madeline Pryor lead to all sorts of demonic uprising and evil that the X-Men ultimately have to fight. Again, here's the big reveal that Sinister, when he confronts Cyclops, Cyclops has all of a sudden these flashbacks to when he was a child in an orphanage, and we learn quite quickly that actually it was Sinister's orphanage, and that he'd been basically running Cyclops' childhood and controlling and manipulating all sorts of events, which we would learn even more about in the pages of classic X-Men. So all these things that are happening in X-Men and all these like past histories, Sinister tends to have a hand in them, especially with Cyclops and Jean Grey, to the point where you know it's hard for them to know what was Sinister's doing and what was their own. I will call out here as well, if you're going to read Inferno 
Um, it's a giant crossover. You could definitely stick to the Uncanny X-Men and X-Factor issues, I think, for the best Mr. Sinister content and just for the best X-Men content overall. Here on the YouTube video, I've got up a uh, Archangel versus Sinister battle as they both talk about, or as Sinister talks about, you know, how Sinister, or as Archangel talks about, how Sinister is manipulating Cyclops just like Apocalypse manipulated him. And the coolest thing here, written by Louis Simonson with art by Walt Simonson, very, very good-looking book. I love me some X-Factor, and it makes Inferno quite a bit better. So from there, we move forward to, again, there's some classic X-Men issues. If you're interested in like seeing uh, how Sinister, they start fleshing out maybe some of his role in these orphanages, check out classic X-Men number 41 and 42, I believe. Uh, you will get the most direct like Sinister and Cyclops issues in those pages. All right, that's his debut is this giant event-sized issue. Now, it appears at the end of Inferno that Mr. Sinister has been destroyed, but as we will learn with the character, this is nearly impossible to do and never really comes to fruition. Uh, I do call up here, this is an annual. It's a cable annual from the late 90s that uh, quite neatly clarifies Mr. Sinister's role in the early 90s event Extinction Agenda, which is his next big appearance and what Mr. Sinister asserts in this issue, which I think you can kind of get a feel for an extinction agenda. But again, it's sort of this retroactive history where the character, you know, he wasn't necessarily clear he was doing this at the time, but it, it later ties in and fits with the character, the idea that he's got these schemes that run the course of history. He tells Cable that he actually plotted out the events of basically Cable's birth. So he says, Scott Summers may be your father, but I am your maker, um, which, of course, is because, you know, he came up with Madeline Pryor in order to. And, and what he's asserting here is that he's getting Cyclops and Gene together in order to have a baby, Cable, so that Cable can grow up to be the savior who will ultimately destroy Apocalypse. This is interesting to me because Sinister and Apocalypse frequently have a, a relationship together. They frequently operate as um, as connected, you know, villains basically who work together. And we're going to talk about this a little. But Sinister also is consistently plotting against him because he realizes that although he can utilize Apocalypse and, and benefit from some of the powers that Apocalypse gives him, uh, ultimately, he will have to defeat Apocalypse for true control of the evolution of mankind. Apocalypse and Sinister's visions don't match one-to-one, -one, even if their intent and sort of uh, means overlap in some ways. Now, in Extinction Agenda, this early 90s event that I do recommend Sinister fans read, we see Mr. Sinister actually forego his obsession with Phoenix and Cyclops. He trades them in, essentially, to Strife, you know, kind of like a used car, and in exchange for these mysterious materials, which wind up being these genetic samplings of um, of Cyclops and Gene. It's a genetic matrix that he takes that he thinks he will be able to uh, basically control the future of mutant kind with. There's a whole lot of other stuff. Like I said, Strife is a bad guy here, the evil twin of Cable in the pages of Extinction Agenda, which again is a crossover that spans uh, Uncanny X-Men and other X-Books at the time. You can check out the full reading order and the checklist on Comic Book 
Harold, I, I do call out here as well, sort of in the aftermath of Extinction Agenda, Mr. Sinister is sort of looking at the wreckage and looking at, uh, you know, what has happened. And one thing just you can see on the page if you're watching via YouTube here on the Comic Herald channel is Sinister is great at monologuing. Uh, I think this is part of the reason he comes on so strong is the character is he's self-reflective and verbose and flamboyant with his villainous monologues, and it's extremely entertaining. And this will continue on through time to some of the character's best moments in the 2010s where writers are really beginning to uh, lean into just sort of the swaggering confidence and and just like <laughs> a completely charismatic yet entirely uh, evil monologues that this character is capable of giving. All right, so Extinction Agenda, all of that builds up to, now we get to like in the 90s, post-Extinction Agenda. Sinister is around a whole lot of comics, particularly in the pages of the X-Men series, just called X-Men. Uh, the issue is written by Fabian DeChiza. He uh, he meets up with Cyclops, and he kind of gives Cyclops a little more info about how Sinister has manipulated his life you know, throughout time. But he also tells Cyclops, in sort of an effort to get on his good side, that you know he he's kind of a friend of sorts because he, too, is looking to stop the legacy virus which runs throughout the 90s and was unleashed ultimately by strife and is going to you know do insane insane damage to mutants and their ilk uh throughout you know throughout the 90s until they find a solution he also reveals here in or or does he in uh in a slip of the tongue potentially that cyclops he refers to him having brothers which is something i'm definitely not going to get into in the pages of mr sinister reading order but uh he you know this is adam x the extreme if you know what that means it means cyclops may have had a third brother and of course throughout the 2000s there is in fact vulcan who is the third summer's brother as far as we know but again the idea here that sinister isn't just behind cyclops he's like behind the entire summer's family his schemes are vast okay this takes us to the next essential Mr. Sinister read, and that is The Further Adventures of Phoenix and Cyclops. This is a follow-up to The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Uh, both are four-issue miniseries. This one, though, despite the fact that it's called The Further Adventures of Phoenix and Cyclops, it is Mr. Sinister's origin. This is the origin of Mr. Sinister. We go back to, I believe, the year is 1859, and he is a British scientist named Nathaniel Essex. We see here that he has absolutely no chill as he talks to his uh, bride-to-be, or no, no, I believe it's his wife, and just tells her straight up in Victorian England, the Bible is wrong, there is no God. He comes in hot <laughs> with all his beliefs, despite the fact that they are clearly flying in the face of conventional wisdom. At the time, in this society, he does the same with scientists there as he basically says, hey, mutants are coming, we should all get ready for this, and he's super jazzed, nobody believes him, until Ensabonur, Apocalypse, is woken up and comes to Sinister, and ultimately the two find a, a pairing. Sinister Nathaniel Essex at this time completely, completely at his lowest after the death of his son, his wife, um, you know, ill and just completely, uh, she finds him contemptible here and, and finds him even <gasps> sinister Oh, on the nose. This series is written by uh, Peter Milligan with art by, uh, oh, shoot, uh, John Paul Leon, I believe. Could be wrong there. Apologies if I got the artist name wrong. Doing it off the top of my head. But Apocalypse finally gives Sinister the option. Do you want to remain Nathaniel Essex with all of your humanity? Or do you want to become something beyond humanity? Do you want to become Mr. Sinister? 
Essex, of course, chooses to become sinister, and that is that. Cyclops and Phoenix, of course, are around to prevent Apocalypse from world takeover at the time. There's a series here in the 2000s called Colossus Bloodline, which goes into further detail on the history of of Mr. Sinister keeping with the Nathaniel Essex origin. But essentially, you can get the idea here that, you know, since 1859, Sinister has been attempting to, and in many ways, controlling and manipulating the future of mutant kind and evolution. So he's been at this longer than almost anyone, you know, longer than Professor X, longer than Magneto, because he's been around for hundreds of years. This is a character who's been around for centuries. Now, one of my absolute favorite stories, and I, I think possibly my absolute favorite Mr. Sinister story because of the role he plays is Age of Apocalypse. Now, I would recommend you go to Compo Carol and check out the full reading order here. This is an entire line-wide sort of revamp throughout 1995 and 1996. The Age of Apocalypse, it took over the X-Men line. Mr. Sinister is a huge player. He's one of the horsemen of Apocalypse in this series. Despite the fact that Apocalypse is the main villain of Age of Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister is a, a has a lot more speaking roles. He has a lot more of a role to play. And, like I said earlier, he is also sort of uh, scheming on the side to take down Apocalypse during this event through machinations of his own as well. Moving along, we get into the 2000s. Again, we get this idea of Sinister working in World War II. This is in the series Weapon X. Issue number 14 is called Sinister's List, and a clear play on Schindler's List as we see him studying and observing and really fantasizing over Namor as the next step in mutant evolution. Again, I think it's interesting to see Sinister in different time periods He's working with the Nazis uh, as a, you know, scientific boon. He, of course, has really very little interest in the actual Nazi plight, but his moral compass is such that he doesn't really care enough to work with them or not to work with them. Uh, we also have an issue like Cable and Deadpool number 17. This is a House of M tie-in where Mr. Sinister uh, makes Deadpool dinner. Deadpool really likes it, but then it's clearly poison. And uh, Deadpool volunteers to be dissected by Mr. Sinister, uh, who has Cable as a baby. If it sounds like I did a terrible job explaining that, I did. You should read Cable and Deadpool and figure all that out for yourself. It's kind of a throwaway Sinister appearance, but it's very fun. And you get a nice Deadpool and Sinister relationship. The best of the 2000s, though, comes all the way in 2010-2011. Uncanny X-Men, written by Kieran Gillen. This run lasts for 20-some issues. Uh, Gillen's Uncanny, I think, is is pretty middle of the road for a lot of fans. I think it has its positives, it has its negatives, but the thing it does absolutely the best is Mr. Sinister. This is where Sinister creates a utopian society where literally everything is sinister. It's all clones, and again, we talked about this a little bit, but Madeline Pryor, clone, right? The Sinister creates and, and really manipulates the lives of, of the X-Men as a result, he is a clone fiend, right? He creates clones left and right. Sinister stories that don't involve clones or don't involve like reconstructing mutant DNA are kind of missing something. It's one of the things that he's absolutely best at. And Gillen really gets that here with this Victorian England, like the, the most flamboyant and fun the character's been in in maybe all time. These issues are an absolute blast. And this is the Mr. Sinister that I hope we see, frankly, moving forward, because he, this villain is so charismatic. It's wild. He creates cloned sinister cows that blow up on Emma Frost at one point. As she says, is there nothing the vile man won't turn into a weapon? He's, like, comical and, and just completely, completely, like, 
committed to this idea of a sinister society. Uh, here he's got Madeline Pryors. He's just got him in abundance at his beck and call, just like pouring salt in the wounds that he has created. And writer Jonathan Hickman, of course, very important to the House of X and Powers of Ten state of affairs that we find ourselves, also wrote a little bit of Sinister in the pages of his 2015 event, my favorite comic book event of all time, Secret Wars. He writes Sinister akin to the way Gillen did. He is, again, just look at him on that throne if you're watching via YouTube, you know, leg up on the throne, ah, the law, how very trashy. He's funny. He's charismatic. He is everything that you want to see out of Mr. Sinister, including here this version of Sinister with the caged phoenix on his arm. So the character has been very fun in sporadic appearances throughout the 2010s. He's also, again, just this, just the Secret Wars version of him, but he fights Captain Marvel, Brian Braddock, and just absolutely tears him a new one, despite the fact that Captain Brian Braddock chops off his head. First thing, Sinister carries on. Everything is Sinister. So those are the essential reads of Mr. Sinister that I would call out. I've got a handful of extra ones here, like he's appeared in the pages of Secret Warriors, the Marvel Legacy era book. Um, there's a, a time period here during, like, it's late 2010s. There's an X-23 solo series where we get Miss Sinister. I'm not going to go into her whole deal other than to say uh, it will leave you very sexually confused about your feelings about Mr. Sinister. Uh, if you are reading the X-23 series with the art that I'm displaying here on the YouTube channel. Um, but, you know, there's there's a handful of others, like, sinister appearances throughout just, you know, he bounces around books. I think one thing that has remained true for the character is he's very good when he shows up, but uh, Marvel has been somewhat sporadic with him. You know, it's it, there aren't, like, a ton of really consistent appearances, which is why the Gillen run, I think, stands out so much in a lot of people's minds, you know, in the page, he's been in the pages of Iceman written by scenic grace, most recently as a villain trying to study uh, Bobby Drake's Omega level powers. So he kind of bounces around and when he shows up, it's almost always thrilling such as here in Spider-Man and the X-Men when he decides he wants to experiment on Spidey and his special class of mutants and true to form. He takes down Wolverine by attacking him with a giant rat. So that is the background of Mr. Sinister. He's pretty great. There's a what-if issue I also really want to call out here in the 90s as we get into potential spoiler territory. So let me say here, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I just realized here, 22 minutes in, I skipped over possibly the biggest Mr. Sinister story <laughs> of the 2000s. Uh, that would be Messiah Complex. That was a big oversight on my part. So in 2007, so before the Gillen run, 2007 Messiah Complex takes place. This is post-decimation, which is very relevant for our purposes of House of X and Powers of Ten fans, you know, really reflecting on all these instances where mutants were uh, wiped out or taken off the board in some capacity. This was the work of, as she's called in House of X number four, the pretender, Wanda Maximoff. You know, mutant kind has been decimated to 198 mutants with actual power sets. Mr. Sinister, of course, observing all of this, he is as interested in the return of a, the first mutant sense decimation as the X-Men are, and that is basically the premise for Messiah Complex, is all these characters, including Mr. Sinister, trying to get their hands on Hope Summers as we come to know her. Now, that, that was an oversight, but what I want to call out as well is there's a what-if issue in the 90s, what-if number 74, 
what if Mr. Sinister formed the X-Men? Now, it's not a perfect issue by any measure, but the idea here, I think, is very interesting, and it's one that I think could play a role in Powers of Ten. There's a lot of theories right now, a lot of theories. And again, getting this spoiler House of X, Powers of Ten. If you haven't read anything, get out of here. If you don't want to hear any theories, get out of here. Quick, quick. All right. Powers of Ten, we're going to get the Sinister issue. I, I felt for a while that Professor X might actually be Sinister or a Sinister clone. We see him in the very first issue creating people out of pods, you know, so there's something going on there that we don't have answers to yet. Um, also, just the way he's conducting himself with the sort of arrogance and charisma of Sinister, uh, it, it all leads me to believe that that Professor X could actually be Nathaniel Essex, a.k.a. Mr. Sinister. And here we have this 90s idea where what if Mr. Sinister formed the X-Men? Now, it doesn't exactly play out the way you necessarily expect it to, but it's kind of a fun read if you want to start playing with those ideas and theories. So there you have it, the history of Mr. Sinister. Again, I've got the full reading order over on comicbookherald.com where you can find all of these issues all in chronological order. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find more of my work at comicbookherald.com. You can find me on social at comicbookherald just about anywhere. YouTube channel is comicbookherald. Podcast is best comics ever. Music for the podcast is by Anthony Weiss. You can find more of his music at anthonyweiss.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics. (laughs) 